Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patrick Boyle on Finance, a podcast exploring ideas from quantitative finance, examining events occurring in markets right now and financial history to see what lessons can be taken away, including interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world of finance. To learn more about the podcast, visit onfinance.org. Turkish voters return to the polls this weekend to choose a president. The runoff vote is uncharted territory for Turkey, which moved in 2017 to an executive presidency from a parliamentary democracy. Before the first round of the election on the 14th of May, polls suggested that voters were evenly divided between the two biggest parties. However, Erdogan's unexpectedly strong first round, where he failed to secure an outright majority but scored a much bigger share of the vote than his rival, has put pressure on the Turkish lira and knocked other Turkish assets ahead of this week's runoff vote. Turkish assets fell in value as investors began reversing the bets they had placed that new leadership might bring Turkey back to a conventional economic policy and away from Erdogan's idea that low interest rates can cure inflation. The official annual inflation rate in Turkey was 43.7% as of April. This is actually down from the 80% inflation rate that Turkey saw the prior year, There's no guarantee that this slowdown will persist. There is, in fact, widespread suspicion that the official numbers understate an inflation rate that, according to independent experts, is actually closer to 100%. Exacerbating the economic stress in Turkey is the vast damage caused by the powerful earthquakes that destroyed large parts of southern Turkey in February. In March, a government assessment put the damage at $103 billion, or around 9% of the year's GDP. The economy will be a significant challenge for whoever wins the presidency on Sunday, as the high inflation, along with government largesse and efforts to prop up the currency, are threatening economic growth and could push the country into a deep recession. Another term for President Erdogan would likely imply a continuation of the current policies with a heightened risk of persistent very high inflation and severe currency pressures, according to Moody's, the credit rating agency. Erdogan's government has deployed a range of unconventional measures in recent years to stabilise Turkey's economy, including tight controls of companies' transfers of foreign currency and the 2021 launch of a special savings account to protect depositors from lira fluctuations, which I discussed on this channel at the time. These tools have helped slow the lira's fall, but the currency is still trading near a record low against the dollar. Brad Setzer from the Council on Foreign Relations argues that the relatively strong economy of the past several quarters has been the product of unsustainable policies, so there will most likely be a contraction or recession. Working Turks will feel poorer when the lira falls in value, he said, of the local currency. People will find it harder to find a job and harder to get a salary that covers the cost of living. 
Net foreign assets, a proxy for the size of Turkey's foreign currency holdings, have declined to minus $13 billion from $1.4 billion a year ago, according to central bank data. Those figures include billions of dollars in funds borrowed from the domestic banking system through swaps. Pressure on international reserves has been significant in recent weeks, as the government made efforts to prop up the economy ahead of Sunday's elections. Turkey's foreign currency and gold reserves tumbled $17 billion in the six weeks leading up to the first round of the election, according to the FT, a decline of 15%. So Turkey had a painful experience of high and chronic inflation from 1975 through to 2004, caused by political instability, poor institutions, high public sector budget deficits and depreciation of the Turkish lira, which culminated in a severe financial crisis in 2000 to 2001. The establishment of an independent central bank in 2001, which focused mainly on fighting inflation along with tight fiscal policies implemented at the same time, brought inflation under control. An economic boom during Erdogan's first 10 years in power transformed Turkish cities and lifted millions of people out of poverty. Turkey transformed from a low-income country into an upper-middle-income country. The poverty rate collapsed between 2002 and 2014, and while still classified as an emerging market, Turkey was seen as one of the most developed developing countries in the world. According to the IMF, in 2020, it was the 12th largest economy in the world by GDP. But some of those gains have eroded in recent years, as the national currency lost 94% of its value against the dollar since 2008, and inflation has been extremely high. So what is causing these problems? Well, as you might expect, there are a number of things causing inflation in Turkey and putting pressure on the Turkish lira. For example, as an importer of energy and intermediate goods, Turkey is exposed to inflationary pressures caused by the rise in energy prices and the supply chain disruptions that were seen all around the world over the last few years. Next up, Most emerging market currencies performed badly against the US dollar once the Federal Reserve began hiking interest rates. Higher US interest rates means that capital that was chasing higher returns in developing countries is now being brought back to the United States. This has led to an appreciation of the dollar against most emerging market currencies. While these issues might explain some of the problems in Turkey, the bulk of the problem is being caused by President Erdogan's unorthodox economic policy of cutting interest rates during a period of high inflation with the belief that this policy will boost Turkey's economic growth and export potential. Erdogan's unconventional economic theory is rooted in Islamic economics and he has invoked Islamic precepts against usury and referred to interest on loans as the mother and father of all evil to justify his actions. He mostly blames foreign interference for rising prices and claims that lower interest rates lead to lower levels of inflation. This is the opposite of what most economists believe to be true. Erdogan argues that if the lira loses value against the dollar, 
Turkey's exports will simply become cheaper and foreign consumers will want to buy even more of them. While this idea does contain some truth, these export gains come at a very heavy price for Turkish people. The Turkish economy is heavily dependent on imports and as the lira falls in value, imported products become more expensive. Erdogan has cited China's economic transformation as evidence that a low interest rate model would work. And while it's true that China devalued its currency in the 1980s and 1990s, this devaluation was combined with a clearly defined industrial policy. It's not clear what industries Turkey is trying to promote with a currency devaluation. It's also not really settled that this is a winning long-run strategy for China either. As I said in a prior video, if a country could build an export-oriented economy by simply destroying the value of its currency, Zimbabwe would be the world's factory today. Spoiler alert, it's not. In order to support the lira and reduce the use of the dollar and euros in the country, Turkish authorities have made it more difficult for local consumers and businesses to purchase foreign exchange. Many have turned to gold as a way to protect their savings, but Turkey suspended gold imports after the earthquake in February, since gold imports to meet retail investor demand were driving up the country's current account deficit. The Turkish central bank has instead been drawing down its gold reserves to supply the domestic market. The Turkish general election was previously seen as a potential economic turning point for the country, with the opposition promising a series of economic reforms. During his election campaign, Erdogan showed no intention of changing his policies, doubling down on his claims that low interest rates would help the economy grow by providing cheap credit to increase Turkish manufacturing and exports. You will see as the interest rates go down, so will inflation, he told supporters in Istanbul in April. We will work relentlessly until we make Turkey one of the 10 largest economies in the world, he said at another election rally earlier this month. The Turkish government has been selling foreign currency reserves to prop up the price of the lira. During one week in early May, the reserves declined by $7.6 billion, the largest such decline in more than 20 years. I discussed this strategy in my video about Egypt a few months ago, that it makes no sense to spend a country's valuable foreign exchange to pump up the value of a falling local currency, as while it might work in the very short term, you're squandering the wealth of the nation for a temporary effect that disappears as soon as you run out of foreign exchange or stop buying. Exchanging something of value for something less valuable to support its price just makes no sense. Erdogan has reached agreements with countries including Qatar, Russia and Saudi Arabia to help prop up central bank reserves. Saudi Arabia announced a $5 billion deposit in March and Russia agreed to delay at least some of Turkey's payment for natural gas imports until after the election. Erdogan's ability to get financing from friendly countries is quite impressive 
Even countries that themselves aren't exactly friends have lent huge sums to the Turkish Central Bank, but at some point Turkey will presumably exhaust the financial patience of its new non-market creditors. There's a very good video by Money and Macro a few months ago on this topic that I would recommend watching. The terms of many of these agreements with other countries have not been made public, and paying back many of these political favours may become complex in the future. But economists are saying that they are part of a short-term strategy more focused on winning an election than on ensuring the country's long-term financial health. With the cost-of-living crisis on many voters' minds, Erdogan launched a range of expensive policies in the lead-up to the election, aimed at reducing the immediate impact of inflation on voters. He raised the minimum wage repeatedly, announced a free month of natural gas for consumers, reduced electricity prices, increased civil servant salaries, and changed government policies to allow millions of Turks to receive early government pensions. Just days before the first round of the election, he gave a 45% pay rise to 700,000 Turkish public sector workers, saying he would not let anyone be crushed by inflation. All of those commitments will need to be honoured by whomever wins the election, meaning that greater government spending can be expected one way or another. In addition to honouring this new spending, a new administration, no matter who wins, would need to respect Erdogan's financial agreements with other countries used to bring in foreign exchange to the central bank. The terms of many of these deals are not clear. Most analysts give Erdogan an edge in the election because of his strong showing in the first round and the likelihood that he'll inherit significant votes from Mr. Ogan, who formally endorsed Erdogan on Monday. Erdogan's political party and its allies also maintained their majority in parliament, allowing Erdogan to argue that voters should choose him to avoid a divided government. If Erdogan sticks to his existing strategies, economists expect the currency to sink further, the government to impose restrictions on foreign currency withdrawals, and the state to soon run short of foreign currency to pay its bills. So how can Turkey get out of the policy trap of low interest rates and high inflation? Well, Adam Tooz argues on his podcast that Erdogan might pivot once he wins the election in the same way that she did in China once he had won his third term and quickly ended the zero COVID policy in China. The difficulty for Erdogan is that pivoting from low to high interest rates will also hurt, but it'll hurt a different group of people than were hurt by low rates and inflation. This might be politically difficult to do. For a country in crisis, Turkey's problems are not that difficult to solve. It's not a total basket case economy like some other emerging markets. The country mostly just needs a sensible interest rate policy and an independent central bank. Turkey has a lot of positives. It has a diversified economy. Growth is good. It has good demographics and an educated workforce. There are, of course, issues with corruption in Turkey, but they're not as bad as in many emerging markets. If the opposition came to power, 
they would need both short and medium term plans to bolster the government's finances and restore the confidence of investors. Their ability to manoeuvre if elected would be restricted by Erdogan's party and its allies who have a majority in parliament. If the president continues to pursue a programme of interest rate cuts, then the lira will fall further and prices will continue to rise. In those circumstances, the only way for Turks to defend their savings will be to turn to a currency outside of Erdogan's control, which is what most Turks have already been doing. The good news for Turkey is that it's a dynamic economy, the government itself is not heavily indebted, and the economy is sound enough to sustain growth. If Erdogan wins, as most analysts now expect, the question is, can he find a face-saving way to pivot to a more sensible economic policy, and does he even understand the need to change policy? If he can craft a strategy that doesn't look like he's surrendering, he may be able to save face and improve the economic situation in Turkey in the coming years. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you found it interesting, make sure you subscribe and tell your friends about it. The podcast is ad-free and entirely financed by my Patreon subscribers, so a special thanks to them. Have a great day and talk to you again soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.